Welcome everyone to the Retail Corner Podcast from Proxima 360. The purpose of our podcast is to bring a relaxed and educational environment to discuss the current retail landscape, best of breed products, and retail business best practices. You will always find us talking with business users, technical resources, and retail experts on how they are and where they are headed. to the Retail Corner Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about what impacts supply chain management and planning. And in order to do that, we have Sean White, who has served as Director of Integrated Business Planning for Vital Farms. He's also been Senior Manager of Sales and Operations for HelloFresh and Global Merchandise Planning Manager for Levi's. Sean, how are you doing today? Doing great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us. And I, I really would like to get your input on, on really what impacts supply chain management because you have both sides of the spectrum, right? You have perishable goods experience and you have soft goods experience, uh, you know, being in, in the retail clothing industry. So overall, right, to really start this conversation, in your opinion, what are the key factors that impact supply chain and planning, right? Obviously, there's a million things, but what are the key factors that really make the difference? Yeah, I think the big thing is just understanding uh, the market and having a good view on um, your product, uh, your product line. There's like, a, like you said, there's a million things that will uh, determine the accuracy or inaccuracy of your supply chain. And I think it's really uh, taking the right time to key in on um, what's happening in the market and how you can um, optimize or take advantage of that. So um, one of the, the big things that I always try to do is the planning process is always very cyclical, whether you have, you're talking about short lead times with perishable goods, or you're talking about long uh, 120 day lead times with, uh, with clothing, you really need to make sure that you have a clean process so that you can quickly and easily assess where you, where is your supply? Where is your demand? Um, where is the risk or opportunity um, to each of those? And make sure you can turn that pretty quickly and easily. Um, what I've always worked on with uh, any of the companies that I've uh, been a part of mm -hmm. is finding a way to um, automate the process as much as possible and take out as much human error. And some people are a little bit nervous about that. They're like, oh, this is taken away from my job. It's like, no, there's, there's a machine component that's uh, pretty cyclical uh, to your job, but what can places the analysis on those numbers and figuring out what's the actual story behind the numbers and how can you get things a little bit more efficient? I think one of the beauties of supply chain is there's no one answer and there's always an extra penny that you can um, make or save. Uh, so continuing to have that, that process where you can kind of save a day, save an hour on the process and look a little bit deeper into uh, the numbers um, I think is the, the key factor in building a strong um, strong uh, plan for, for your business and being able to adapt to the things that are going to inevitably happen, whether it's COVID or uh, avian flu. Inflation or, or whatever <laughs> the case might be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the perfect storm that's been happening the past three years, right? Mm -hmm. it's been, so, so I think overall, right, you, you hit on some key items, in my opinion, right? Obviously, it all starts in your delivership, right? How you are directing that ship. Then your process and your procedures, right? How quickly and how, how you, you can make some things automated, make people feel comfortable with the automation processes, and obviously supply and demand, right? Um, when it comes to the to the leadership factors, right? In your opinion, what really can foster that growth? Because I think you talked about something very, very important. As AI, as technology continues to advance, right? In, in, in 
I think in gargantuous steps in comparison to previous decades, right? Um, more and more people are afraid of technology or are almost hating technology, right? Because of exactly what you said, right? Hey, is, is my job going to disappear, right? Am I at risk over a machine, right? And so as a leader, how do you foster a mindset of acceptance of technology and rather than being scared of it, capitalizing its value in order to really impact your productivity? Because at the end of the day, as you very well mentioned, if you use technology properly, then you take away processes that are very mechanical and then you can actually be more productive, right? You can actually mix your gut feeling, right? That art piece of us as a human with the science piece of us, right? And really put it together to more of a, a working effort. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the, the big thing that I work with, one, either with my team or two, when I'm cross-functionally working on a project is how can we save time? Um, I, I kind of work cross-functionally on a lot of projects where essentially it was a, a three or four day process that, you know, the team was just clunking in Excel or working um, in an ERP to, to build a build a plan. And there's there's all these things you can do to kind of drive efficiency. And, you know, a lot of people are like, well, we've been doing this for, you know, however years and it's always 10 years, 20 years. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Susie showed me how to do these back when I started, you know? Yeah. (laughs) It was like, you know, but what if I showed you a way that you could, instead of having to work on this all week, you could spend four hours working on it and then spend two days or the remaining three days actually building up your deck so that you're not getting those uh, uh, interesting questions from the executive team when you go back to them. So I've always focused in on kind of how can we optimize um, time? And it's always been a good way to kind of uh, garner, uh, garner partnership between your cross-functional partners. When it comes to your actual team, um, I think the big thing is I, as close as possible, I want to keep my team working less than 40 hours a week. Whenever I identify like, hey, there's something that's uh, taking a little bit longer, usually attack it from two different angles. One. Is this something external that's happening? Is a team giving you work later than expected or they're giving you something in a, in a format that doesn't um, really help you uh, get your job done quickly? Now, um, assess that situation and figure out a problem and then take the take that team member along the way to kind of say, okay, we're going to, this is the issue. Um, we're going to, let's have a meeting with them and show them how you actually dive into it and ask the question to be like, hey, um, they actually had the animation earlier. They were just waiting to get it because they thought that that was the, the time frame that you needed. Boom. Uh, you're you're uh, working a lot more efficiently there. Then the second is like, is your tool or your process, your model that you own, um, is there something that can be improved there? And that's where we'll work together to say like, hey, like uh, I noticed that you're taking these three extra steps in, in, your, in your process. You could cut um, two, two or three of those out and it runs a lot more smoothly kind of giving a little bit more teaching um, aspect to it. So it's not just kind of like, hey, get it done. If it takes you 50 hours to do whatever, it's like, hey, let's try to be a a bit more efficient. I think that third piece is really around um, once they have a good scheme on like how to get their their day in, day in uh, job done, it's what what are you passionate about? What what kind of gets you going in the morning um, or gets you coming into work? And uh, fostering that, figuring out like, oh, uh, uh, you don't only just like demand planning, you really want to look into supply plan or you want to look a little bit into sourcing, um, giving them, uh, giving that can in a little bit of stretch projects or, or just letting them sit in on some of those big meetings so they understand how the process goes to, you know, kind of build up their skills, but also give them more visibility. 
and generally when that's uh, happened, either one, the, the candidates felt really good about um, kind of coming to you with questions, but also they could take some of that skill set and bring it back to their role and be like, oh, I didn't know that that was happening. Um, once I handed off the work, I can do this to make it a little bit more um, efficient. So those are kind of the, the three ways that I use. Yeah, no, I, I, I re- you touched on something I, I really firmly believe in, right? Um, when I've been internal as an executive as well, uh, is you don't have to work people 40 hours a week, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think there is this mindset previous to us, maybe previous generations, that it was like, if you're not working 60, 50 hours a week, then you're not being productive, right? Or if you're not all the time stressed out and all the time on the computer doing something, then then you're not providing value to me as an employee. And I think now after pandemic, after many things have changed, I think we've started to open up and realize that productivity is not based on the amount of time you're investing in it, but rather on deliverables, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it takes you four hours today and then you go play golf for the rest of the day, it doesn't matter because if you completed the task successfully and without mistakes, that's much more valuable than you working on the task, you know, 12 hours today, you know? Mm -hmm. So, So I really like what you hit on there. And what we talked about, obviously... The, the after effect of this, right? And the guideline to this is the processes and the procedures that you put in place, right? In order to really help your employees activate and exercise all the things you talked about. So when we talked about processes and procedures and, and we talk about technology, what, what do you foresee that is going to be really changing in the next couple of years, right? Or, or in this year, uh, that's kind of hot in the market, that's really changing how supply chains is, is, is working and functioning today? Yeah, I- I think AI is very interesting. Um, I, I don't know the the huge impact that it's going to make at the planning and supply planning level. I think there, I think the the big push there will be like when when do the SAP and Oracle start plugging those into uh, some of some of their ERP or planning tools? Um, I still think we're a ways off from that, but I think in lieu of knowing that that's coming, uh, teams can start working on. Uh, kind of looking a little bit more deep. It's like, hey, we have a, a much richer data set. Um, we can figure out, one, what's happening at the stores that we're selling at. Also, what's the production um, cadence or breakdown uh, levels that are happening at our warehouses? Um, taking those uh, data inputs and building them into a database where we can actually see feel like what are all the factors that are happening, not just on the selling side, not just on the production side, combining them together and figuring out how can we be more efficient? How can we be more proactive and not get as uh, caught up uh, by some of the things like, are we going to be able to pick when the next winter storm is going to happen and Texas is going to freeze? We're going to be able to pick the next COVID? No, but we can um, look at some of the things that we know are existing, that we have data input. Like none of our, none of our warehouses are running just on manual labor and there's no um, ones and zeros behind it. Let's uh, key into to those uh, data points to figure out how we can optimize and um, be a little bit ahead of speed. And then once we get to the point where where AI is uh, a bigger part of our ERPs and our SaaS tools, um, we'll be in a, a much better place. And and I think ultimately, um, at the end of the day, going back to what we were talking about, is we want you know our teams to work a little bit less in the system and more more being creative and problem solving and figuring out how we can get creative and, you know, take a item from a 20% margin to a 30% margin. Those are things that you can't really, you know, fully do through AI. A lot of it is creativity and you're going to have to build that into um, the AI. 
So I think mm. those are some of the areas where we probably need to focus. Absolutely, absolutely. And and the other thing, obviously, that you were talking about at the very beginning when I asked you about the key factors, right? Obviously, supply and demand, right? That that's obviously that that rules business in every scenario, right? Regardless of the industry. And one industry I wanted to maybe highlight, and because obviously you have experience in this, and it's hot and it's happening right now, and everybody's getting impacted by it is the egg industry, right? And what's going on right now with supply and demand there. So rather than me explain it, if you can kind of give us an overview of what's going on today in the market and, and why is there so much dispersity in pricing, right? And, and yeah. there seems to be no low end, high end, everything is high end right now. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, before we got into uh, this, this uh, state that we're in, you know, you, you were able to get $2 eggs and you were able to get $10 eggs and, and somewhere in the middle. Um, now everything seems a much closer to the double digit, whether it's there or not, it feels like it is. Um, and a lot of that's come from, uh, it's pretty much the, uh, the avian influenza. Essentially it's a, a seasonal flu that generally happens, um, once a year, but generally has a pretty small impact. It's usually a lot more impactful, um, in Europe, but, uh, we've seen uh, with migration and just, uh, changes that it's impacted the, the U S market, uh, pretty heavily. Um, I think once we got to December last year, I have not speed on the, the latest numbers, but we lost somewhere in the neighborhood of like 50 million birds, um, inside of like six month period. Um, wow. Essentially, what's happening is uh, it's a flu uh, that, that impacts the, the the birds very very quickly. It it pretty much once the bird is infected um, with it, the whole farm um, will generally uh, die off inside of um, three days. So the plus side of it is there's very very low impact of it getting to to customers because once they're infected with it, there's no um, they pretty much stop laying eggs, but um, it's pretty much killing off a whole a whole farm um, inside of a week. The issue wow. that comes with that is once you kill off a whole farm, it's not just a quick and simple. All right, we'll clean up the farm and get a uh, get new uh, chickens out there. You have to clean up the farm, which is a two to three week uh, period. Make sure it's sanitized. Make sure that there's no um, impacts of the new flock. And actually laying down uh, a new flock is uh, pretty much an 18 week um, or plus 18 week uh, period. So you have to essentially grow them till they're about 18 weeks. And then it's not until they get to about 24 um, weeks that they actually start laying eggs at the, the cadence that, that you would normally see. Um, so really in the grand scheme of things, you're talking about somewhere in the neighborhood of um, six months where you're kind of in between uh, getting a flock up and going. So you lose that flock, you're you're out of uh, portion your supply. Yeah, you're out of business for, <laughs> for a long period of time. So, so for everybody listening to us, sorry to interrupt you here, this is so interesting. What, what do you foresee really as the timeline in order to, or in order to reach that milestone of normality again? Mm -hmm. Well, it really depends on um, the ability to contain and stop the growing because, um, you know, farms can easily try to do their best to like keep their flock inside to mitigate the, um, the, the contagion of it. But if, if there's continually like uh, farms in each area have uh, infecting and infecting it, it could just continue to spiral. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. I think um, a lot of the farmers are doing their, their best to 
to keep track of where contain it, figure out where where some of the birds that are having that are migrating from and, and being um very, very tied into that. Um I think uh, this is me putting my finger up in the air. Nobody <laughs> really knows uh this is much longer than uh we've ever kind of seen it in the industry. Um hopefully towards Q three we sh- uh we should start seeing a lot more of the farms stabilize with their supply and be able to get um eggs on shelves and hopefully um mitigate that but the big thing is how we actually plan going forward um you know companies are seeing much higher demand than they would what companies are going to keep the demand which companies are going to lose that what uh, product types are going to continue to say because right now the people are buying more organic because there's organic but uh eggs supply but there's not yeah if you're going to say pay the same price you might as well just get right, a higher value item. But as you very well mentioned, right, how are those numbers going to impact next year, right? And how are the companies going to react to that because now their plans are going to be completely out of whack, right? Yeah. So so it all comes back, right, to how environment, how flus, how all these different things can impact and change your supply chain management. And it's not just for the current event, but the some consequence that happens, right? Year after year because of something like this. Uh, Sean, I wanted to, to ask you one last question and thank you for all of this. This has been so informative and so great. Uh, but I always like to ask this of everybody, right? Uh, if you had one piece of advice for, we have a lot of entrepreneurs, we have a lot of executives that listen to us, but if you had one piece of advice after your experience of being with perishable goods, with soft goods, right? And being so many years in the supply chain management and planning sector, what do you think is the one thing that somebody that's trying to grow their business, right, or trying to grow for the business that they're working for should really focus on that, that, that in order to excel and to drive it that one step closer to success? I think the most important thing is is the, the people in the team. Um, making sure that you're hiring a diverse team with um, with different skill sets that can all leverage against each other and kind of help um, help each other out. I think too often um, people focus on like, all right, let's uh, let's uh, make sure that our portfolio is great. Let's uh, kind of drive sales. But sales will come if you have a strong team. If you have a team that's committed to the product, that understands how things are, work, are, are working within the company and have a drive to to want to see the company be bigger and be a part of that, that growth. I think that's the biggest thing. And, and the best way to do that is foster a culture where um, there isn't just uh, one answer or anyone um, or one team can speak up, uh, making sure that everyone's input is heard, uh, everyone feels included and um, feels bad about not putting their idea uh, up instead of being scared to raise their hand and say, oh, I think that this is an opportunity for us to go on. Um, and just like constantly making it uh, you know, fluid, I think. People get hired into particular roles and um, sometimes they're like, oh, well, I just have to focus on sourcing and I'm just going to live in this particular silo. Um, but giving them the opportunity to know like, hey, as long as you are getting your job done, there's other areas where your skill set can be helpful um, and doing a lot of cross learning. I think um, the team and building that good learning chemistry and connective tissue where everyone feels that it's a team effort and not a, a me effort. Um, I think that fosters the most growth. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I really like what you said about not not segregating employees into their role, right? But actually mm-hmm. allowing them to understand all the other roles and departments, you know, to, on the surface at least, because 
that will enhance what they're doing today, right? Even the role they're doing today, when they fully understand the 360 of the business, it will enhance them to do a better job and to contribute with better ideas for all yeah. their teammates. Absolutely. Well, Sean, it was a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much for all the information. For everybody out there listening, we'll have Sean's information here. He's a great expert. If you guys want his input on anything else as you're growing your business or as you're facing maybe some supply chain issues or hurdles, uh, I'm Sean, I'm sure we'll be more than happy to provide some helping hand advice, you know? And uh, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you guys in the next episode of the Retail Corner Podcast. If you would like to be featured on our podcast, please email us at podcast at retailcorner.live or visit our website, retailcorner.live. Looking forward to having you as our guest on our podcast. And thank you so much for listening.